Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Family Health Podcast, a podcast for families and leaders that want to strengthen families. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, an author, university professor, licensed professional counselor, a life coach, and researcher, and speaker on topics such as trauma, abuse, sexual ethics, and gender, and sexuality issues today. I will be your host. In this podcast, we'll be focusing on four areas. See these as a quadrant, your health, your purpose, your relationships, and your work. Each week, we'll be diving into one of these four areas with the goal of challenging you and encouraging you in building strong families. We're sponsored by the Family Launch Academy, a community of families, parents, and leaders that want to see their children launched well into adulthood, prepared for what's to come. Find out more about the community, resources, courses, trainings, and Q&As with me, Dr. Gilbert, and the Family Launch Academy by joining our free Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Family Launch Academy. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hey, this is Dr. Gilbert with the Family Health Podcast, and welcome to this episode. We're going to kind of continue the conversation about homosexuality and looking at a conversation of the real people that we love. Um, Here we're going to actually dive into what the scripture says and parents what we should do, how we have these conversations and how we engage in teaching and leading our children well. So I hope this is helpful and fruitful for you as you build your own personal ethos and foundation. Your ethos, what you believe and live out, matters. How you discuss and live out gender matters. In my marriage, one of us is very sensitive, emotional, processes everything they are thinking out loud, and even cries with commercials. The other one of us is quiet, introspective, analytical, skeptical, a fighter, and an internal processor that does not like to share emotions. Which one am I? Which one is my wife? Many will likely fall into stereotypes and quickly assume that first, the first one is my wife. You would be wrong, though. <laughs> Me, I, I cry every time at the end of the movie Cars. I am the girl in my marriage. Or should we perhaps challenge our assumptions about gender and recognize that both men and women represent the full spectrum of human behavior, thought, and emotion? I am the emotional one. I am the external and verbal processor. I cry at almost every movie, but... I can also fix almost anything in a house or car and have a healthy male sex drive. We have a lot of work to do to expand, maybe uh, better said, to deepen these definitions, not rewrite them. The truth is that most men are not manning up and showing themselves to be someone of strength, character, leadership, with a work ethic, and tender and protective of others. Women are being used, abused, and discounted just as often today as they were in the past. We have serious inequities. Our actions reveal what we believe as healthy, normal, good, right, and biblical. So many of the things we wrestle with, though, do not have chapter and verse answers in Scripture, which leads us to more questions. This is not about knowing whether our son liking pink or your daughter enjoying getting muddy is okay. It is much deeper than that. This is where we get the word identity. Who am I? We are all looking for something. We all want to be desired, known, to have worth, or to accomplish something. Somewhere along the way, though, a key part of who we are, our sexuality, gets messed with in the process. Without a guiding principle as to why you should or should not do something, decisions become arbitrary. We must start with laying a foundation. As we begin, I want to clearly state that by God's design, you are born as either male or female. 
This is not radical. It is deciding to place my starting point in biological facts that I ascribe to God as his prerogative as the creator. You and I had no say in the matter when the hormone bath in utero made each of us male or female. This is a foundation. What is your foundation for creating a biblical sexual ethic? For many, the foundation is tradition. We love or hate the things we do because that is the way our family has always done it. We hold views that are entrenched in tradition, not the Bible. So what will your foundation be as you teach and lead your children intentionally? Homosexuality is reality today, just as it was throughout all of time. This is not a new thing. Some societies have embraced it, while others demonized it. The reality, as you know in your heart, is that we are not talking about an issue. We are talking about people. We are talking about hurting people who are just like us. You and I are desiring and deeply yearning for something, some reason that we should not deny people anything that makes them happy. That argument falls to pieces, though, when we insert anything else that may potentially be harmful in the place of homosexual sex. People find happiness in all sorts of places, with people, with animals, with sports, with hobbies. That is not the purpose of this conversation, though. I want us to know how to teach our children compassion and a biblical response. The majority of the LGBTQ plus conversations center around the individual and their feelings. I would dare say that the gospel asks us to die to ourselves and our families and live for Christ. Am I willing to sign up for that? Are you? This requires us to choose things we might not want to choose for the sake of a greater call in our lives. This requires sacrifice, loneliness, and suffering. Ironically, in our talk of self-denial, we are getting closer to the example of the life of Christ. God has a perfect design for sex and intercourse, and that is in a heterosexual marriage. Teaching this to our children is critical. Living this out is imperative. We also need to explain to our children why we believe as we do, so that they can in turn lead others toward good things, not condemn them. We ought to be full of love, grace, compassion, care, even worry, and then reach out a helping hand and be patient for God to do His work in the lives of those we are serving in His time and in His manner. We are just called to be faithful. Your theology matters. Your beliefs about homosexuality matter. What does Scripture say about homosexuality? There are five passages that specifically mention homosexuality. Personally, what I have found is that these scripture passages are quickly twisted and manipulated to mean different things than a traditional evangelical ethic. At this point, using these passages for any debate or argument becomes difficult. What I personally choose to do is to stick to a biblical sexual ethic in a more general sense. Scripture clearly limits sexual relationships to one single place between a man and a woman within the committed marriage bed. There is no other place for genital sexual expression. This confirms a sexual ethic that answers questions about homosexuality. Genital sexual experiences are never permissible with the same sex. The passages on homosexuality are Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13, which clearly condemn homosexuality, Romans 1.26 and 27 that prohibits same-sex behavior, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, and 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 that mentions same-sex sexual behavior. So parents, what are we to do? Teach your children about God's design for marriage, sex, and family. Be an example when you fail by asking for forgiveness. Be an example when others fail and you forgive them and help them up. Be careful in your speech as you raise your children. 
they are listening and they are absorbing your attitudes, angers, and fears. They know what you really think about people. Ask your children questions and challenge them to think deeper on subjects. It is okay for them to wrestle with a question for a while and develop an answer later. Give your children hope by speaking positively about their future, our world, society, and people. Cynicism cuts to the heart. Invite your children to face challenges that are a struggle for them in which they might even fail. Pick them up, dust them off, and lead them on. While they are between the shaping ages of birth and 10, be intentional. After they reach their teens, prepare to step back and know that you will hurt more. Prepare to let go, slowly, intentionally, thoughtfully, as you give them more room. Observe them interacting with the world through the lens you purposely crafted over the years. This is critical for the 11-year-old and your 12-year-old and your 13-year-old. Many of them will already have the tendency to pull away by then. Let them. Be hopeful and proud of the young man or woman they are becoming. Be a breath of fresh air in their lives as they navigate the teenage years, not a source of tension. They will have enough of that out in the world. Make your home a safe place for them and for yourself. Are you getting excited about the potential? Make it happen. How? Intentionally help them develop their ethos young so that they are living by it by age 11, you can do this. A biblical sexual ethic rests in scriptures such as these. Being naked and unashamed, Genesis 2, 24-25, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Her breasts, Proverbs five nineteen. It says, She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Lust equals adultery, Matthew 5, 28. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Becoming one flesh, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. It says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Remaining single, it's better to marry than to burn. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. It says, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Here's a bunch of passages on sexual immorality. Matthew 15, 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Acts 15, 19, and 20. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price, with a high price, so that you may honor God with your body. 
1 Corinthians 7, 2-7 says, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Galatians 5, 19-21 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3.5, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. 1 Thessalonians 4.3-5, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. And lastly, Hebrews 13.4, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I hope these passages of Scripture and this encouragement and these things to think about are helpful for you as you wrestle with what you believe about homosexuality, about sexuality and gender, about marriage, and about so many other issues that pertain so much to us that we must be passing on to our children. So bless you and your family and how you lead intentionally in helping them craft their own biblical sexual ethic and ethos. Thanks for tuning in to the Family Health Podcast. I hope these become valuable resources full of encouragement and challenges as you lead your family well and with confidence and definitely not alone. Find out more about marriage and family life coaching and consulting at healinglives.com. I want to help you and your family be successful in marriage, love, life, and family. Thank you to our sponsor, the Family Launch Academy. To get your family moving in the right direction quickly, check out our website, healinglives.com, for available options that will serve your family best, from counseling and coaching to seminars, online courses, and more. It is an honor to serve.